This is Space Waffles, a Star Wars podcast. Welcome to Space Waffles. I'm Arzu. I'm Candice. And today, in honor of the 25th anniversary of the Star Wars Special Editions, we are talking about those special editions and namely like the bigger changes made and the impact they've had on the story. But before we do that, a bit of news that I'm sure all of you know, you've seen us yelling about it over the last week. We finally, finally got a Kenobi trailer. It is out. Finally, it's real. It is a thing that they have made. It's not something out of my fever dream or imagination. It's real. It's happening May 25th. So Candace, like what, talk, walk me through you watching this trailer. Like, first off, it had been out for hours. And I had no idea because I was working and I guess my phone was like, you got to work. And I didn't get Arzu's text message uh, flipping out that the Kenobi, Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer was out. I really, it took me back to being like a little girl, like in 1998 like, when the Phantom Menace trailer came out mm-hmm. back in the day because most people had dial up. I don't even know if there was like DSL or not, whatever. Not back then. Yeah, so you could download trailers. And my dad downloaded the Phantom Menace trailer. And like every evening for like a few months, I feel like we watched the Phantom Menace trailer getting hyped for it. And I had that same feeling watching this. I felt, again, like I was a little girl waiting for the prequels. So I, when I was watching it, because I watched it right as it dropped, um, I had the Disney Investors Call just kind of playing in the background while I was working. And I, because that's what I do. I yeah, guess. no, um, stuff. Yeah. So I, it's just running and I'm not really listening. And then I hear it's like later this year we have Andor and Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. And then it's like, and we're pleased to present a special look. And I'm just like, hang on, what? Because we had gotten the Entertainment Weekly photos earlier that day. And I thought that's all we yeah. were getting. Then the trailer starts to play and my brother walks in. And I just threw my hand up behind me like, don't talk to me right now. And didn't realize that he was recording me. So <laughs> he's got a video of me watching the trailer. But why has that not been released, Arzu? Because I'm in my pajamas and it's not a flattering look. <laughs> but he... Um, it's more real than some reactions I've seen. <laughs> yeah, like I like Fruit my videos. hair is in a need to wash my hair bun. And I've got like a sweater that's three sizes too big on. And it's just... It's, it's a look. But um, yeah, like... I've said it before, Obi-Wan Kenobi is my favorite character. I cannot believe I am getting more in his prime sad boy era, having lost everything and everyone he loves on this new mission by himself. I just, yes, I am very, very here for this. And we're going to like, we're going to move on. We're going to talk about like other stuff, but Candace. We're getting Rebels characters in Obi-Wan Kenobi. I know. We're getting the, the swishy lightsaber. The, the, the swingy lightsaber. The helicopter and saber. I am so excited about like more animated characters becoming live action because it's like, yeah, you know, like Rebels is canon. Remember, like, you know, yeah. it just feels like acknowledging these characters. And I'm so excited to see more Inquisitors because it's such an intriguing idea mm-hmm. that, like, gets explored more in Fallen Order. And, you know, these are former Jedi, a lot of them. And yeah. 
I hope we get to know some of their backstories, especially the new ones. Yeah, especially um, Moses Ingram's character, uh, Reva, I think. Reva? Reva. Um, who was featured very prominently in the trailer. And I like the idea I've seen other people floating around of like that line that I think the Grand Inquisitor says of that the Jedi can't control their nature and it's just who they are. And like you said, they're all former Jedi. So I'm like, who's going to struggle with with their nature versus what they've been made now? Mm-hmm. So basically bring on the angst. I am ready. I mean, like we see a lot of action in the trailer, but I'm hoping we'll get those emotional beats too. Um, I do want to note that it kind of came out with the Entertainment Weekly story that the original writer for the series, um, Jose Namini, had written, I think this was back when it was a movie, but he had written scripts for it and it was a little too like glum, I guess, and they wanted something happier and more upbeat. So he was let go. And then they brought a guy with some very questionable writing credentials. Like, I'll I'll happily walk back my assessment of his writing um, after the series if if he proves me wrong. But as as it is, the confidence is not high. Um, which I question the decision to make the saddest point in a man's life more upbeat. But maybe that's just me. Yeah, I, I mean, like, everyone he's known and loved is dead. Or evil. Like hope can hope can survive, but it doesn't have to survive in a plastered on fake happy way. So I don't I don't the thing is I'm saying all this not having any idea. Yeah, we I, we don't know. But yeah. it just it just seems weird. That's a weird reason to be like, yeah. no, you're fired. I'm also just venting frustration because the writer they fired was Iranian. Yeah. Like myself. And I'm like, how perfect would that have been for me personally? But that's that's okay. Um, it is what it is. An Oscar award winning. Oh yeah, yeah. Too. Yeah, like acclaimed TV series versus the guy who wrote that really questionable King Arthur movie. Like okay, mm-hmm. like it was fun, but let's be real. Um, <laughs> so, any final thoughts on the trailer before we we jump into our topic for today? Oh, just so many feelings. We get to see little baby Luke Skywalker. The only Luke Skywalker I want to see nowadays. But Obi-Wan is, like, looking at him. And you just, again, angst. That's his, like, brother's kid. He can't interact. And I really love that we're going to see, like, why Owen's, like, no, Obi-Wan, you stay the heck away from my family. Because he's going to be seeing all this, like, Inquisitors, people looking for Jedi. You know, he's putting his family at risk. So I think, like, it'd be really nice to see more of, like, Owen and Beru's, like, their sacrifice that they made to mm-hmm. raise his child. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think I think Owen gets a lot of undue hate just because he's kind of like, he doesn't let Luke immediately run off and follow his dreams. But like, especially after the prequels, Luke, we see why that is. Like Owen sees what going off and becoming a pilot and becoming a Jedi did to Anakin. Like as yeah. far as he knows, he killed him. So he doesn't, he doesn't want that for Luke, this is a child he has agreed to raise. This is a child he, I'm assuming, loves, a child he cares for. Like, I totally get why he is the way he is. And it's very tempting to be like he's being completely unreasonable, especially if we get that scene from the Obi-Wan Kenobi comics where he's kind of yelling at Obi-Wan and telling him to just stay away from my family. But I could get where he's coming from. Yeah. And I, I love when Star Wars brings these characters and gives them more depth. Mm-hmm. And it helps, like, not elaborate, but, you know, it enriches the original story. 
Yeah. Like, um, just like Rebels does, where, again, as this, and Clone Wars, you know, it makes these characters deeper. So, yep. Like, we get that line in A New Hope of Owen just being like, that wizard's a crazy old man, like, just dismissing Obi Wan out of hand. Obviously, he knows that's not true. And even in the originals, like, without additional context, we know he knows that's not true. But, after the show, presuming they have that kind of interaction, that does add that layer of him really needing to make sure that Luke doesn't go find Obi-Wan because he knows what kind of threat the Empire is to somebody yeah. like Luke. Very excited for Kenobi. So anyway, on to our main topic for today. We are talking about the Star Wars Special Edition. So it's the 25th anniversary of the first big re-release in the 90s um, we're going to kind of be talking about all of them because some of them have some really big changes that came after 1997 but but yeah so so to kick things off candace um we did a poll on twitter on the geeky yes. waffle twitter account asking people what their first star wars experience was like what was the first version of the story that they saw so what was the first version that you saw it was his 25th anniversary special edition. My dad took me to the movie theaters. I was a little kid and I was like, ugh, an old movie? <laughs> Boo. And it's sci-fi? Ew. You know? Yeah. Because I was like very much into my princesses and Disney and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, like five, ten minutes in, I was like, I'm in. 100% in. I love Princess Leia. She's so cool. She's standing up to Vader. And, you know, the scary guy. And, yeah, I I didn't know what was special, like, the special edition parts were until later. Like, I think a few months later, I got the VHSs. Yeah. And I could see the differences. But, yeah, the special editions is what I – what got me hooked. So I I have long thought that the special editions were the first ones I saw because of the timing. But when I was researching for this mm -hmm. and I saw that some changes had been made in the 97 version that I remembered thinking were weird when I rewatched them as a teenager, I'm starting to think my parents had the 1995 VHS and not the 97 re-release. And that was technically my first, although I don't really remember it well. I'm um, like, I'll get to it when, when we get there, but. But yeah, basically just like you watching the tapes. Although I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it on tape because I don't think we got it in theaters here. And like hooked. Especially like just with the little, with the little angst. I was like, this is fun. I'm, re I'm ready to go see um, The Phantom Menace in theaters. But oh, yeah, like how lucky were we? Like I saw the, like the OG in 1997. And then just a few later, I got the prequels. We didn't even have to wait. It was great. Barely had to wait. Uh, uh our poll, 53% said the theatrical version, and then 30% said 1997, and then 11 said the 2004 special editions, which we'll talk a little bit more yeah, about. Well, like, there are other minor re-releases that happened in between, and then I put McClunky as the fourth option, meaning the Disney Plus release, and 5% said that that was their first experience. Which, Or maybe they just like the word McClunky. Or maybe they just like the word McClunky, or they just wanted to see the results and didn't want to... Yeah. Didn't want to vote. But. Uh, yeah. There's a, like, I forgot. There's some YouTuber joked and was like, yeah, we kept to like stop George Lucas from breaking in and editing <laughs> Disney saying this, like, you know. Yeah. Got to stop him from breaking in and editing these movies again. Yeah. 
So, yeah. So, a lot of people, it seems, saw the theatrical as their first exposure. Um, so, I was looking up, like, sort of what the timeline was, because I have my own anecdotal memory of it, but I was very small. So, um, so I got all this from an article from Nerdist, which I will be linking in the show notes. But, so they said that after 1985, when the George and Ewoks show ended, um, there was really nothing Star Wars-wise. There was Star Tours, but otherwise nothing other than the occasional novel. And then oh. when Eric... What? Star Tours was actually my first introduction to Star Wars. Oh, well, there you go. I wrote Star Tours before Star Wars. But did you a, get it? Um, no, but there was a, like a nerdy guy in the line and he was like, I think she would like Star Wars if she likes this ride. And I was like, I would like to go back to this man in the 90s and be like, you were right. Because <laughs> he was talking to my mom. <laughs> right. In the line, not me. Not just some random adult talking to child he was there with his kids too yeah no i I figured i figured this wasn't gonna take a turn (laughs) story-wise but yeah so um so after in 1991 um heir to the empire came out which is the first in the thrawn trilogy the old thrawn trilogy for legends um and it's a huge success and people start to get more and more interested in star wars and then when star trek first contact came out that's when um, they released the trailer for the 1997 reissue of Star Wars. And it's coming back to theaters, even though everybody kind of had it on on VHS if they wanted it. Like the 95 edition was out by then. And it was a it was a huge success when it hit theaters. So the first one made $35 million and adjusted for inflation, the trilogy as a whole made almost $500 million in the 90s. Like coming back oh, to Oh, just the special edition. The special editions, like so- in theaters. Like half a billion dollars. Yeah, just, like adjusted for inflation. So not yeah, half a billion back then, but still. But yeah. That's not an insubstantial amount of money for something that had been out for like 20 years already. 25 years. No, no like 20, 20 years. years since Star Wars. Yeah, it's been 25 one. years since this. Damn. Okay, so it's been 45 yeah. years. 45 years. Obi-Wan Kenobi premiering 45 years to the day after A New Hope. Oh my goodness. <sighs> Time has no meaning. No meaning whatsoever. But yeah, so after that, like we were saying, we were very lucky. Um, we got the prequels within a couple of years and then the Clone Wars and then Rebels. And it's just kind of been nonstop Star Wars since then. So we haven't really had that early 90s like Star Wars drought yeah. really since. So, all right. So moving on into the special editions. So like I said, we're focusing largely on the 1997 special editions, um, like big story things that changed. Um, there were like a lot of little changes here and there all throughout, like a lot of CGI was added, shots were cleaned up, lines of dialogue were like tweaked a little just to make them like clearer or for some indis- like indecipherable reason. Um, special effects were updated, like notably the Death Star in the first one. And at, in 1997, oh, yeah, the explosion. The explosion. explosion. Oh, wow. It was much more epic. I remember wa- yeah. watching the VHSs. A theatrical version. I was like, "That's it." After you know, after seeing the oh, big, okay. <laughs> but like, yeah, like I think making it a bit bigger of a boom was not a bad idea. And then, generally speaking, across um, across the trilogy, um, James Earl Jones was added to the credits. So, so up until 1997, the only person credited as Darth Vader on in the movie was David Prowse, who's like the actor in the costume. 
and I don't have a source for this, but I do remember reading that James Earl Jones had basically said, yeah, that makes sense. I'm essentially a special effect because it's just the voice. And he's like, I'm not the one there. I'm not the one, you know, arguably the most, one of the more distinctive parts of Darth Vader is his voice. Yeah. But that's so it, weird. I had no idea about that. James Earl Jones, like when you think Darth Vader, you think James Earl Jones. Yeah. Like you think James Earl Jones before you think David Prowse, no offense to David Prowse, but like the, the, like the deep voice and like the, the menace that he gives and the emotion, all that, like that is Darth Vader. That's where he really jumps out. So, mm -hmm. so fortunately in 97, that was, that Good. was corrected. So moving into more specific changes now um, for a new hope, very famously, one of the changes made Han, Han shot first, no longer. So, Everybody knows this moment, but this is where Greedo confronts Han in the cantina. And in the original cut, Han just shoots Greedo. End of story. In 1997, Greedo shot Han first with Han bobbing out of the way. And then in 2004, it was changed again so that they're shooting simultaneously. Candace, what are your thoughts on this? Because I have thoughts on how this impacts the story, but what, what are your thoughts on this? Well, yeah, it changes the character, I think, a lot. There yeah. changes. Um, this is our introduction to Han Solo, other than him talking to Ben and Luke, and we already see he's a bit of a blowhard, you know, brag a braggart. But the bobbing is so weird. How bad is Greedo <laughs> that he can't shoot someone who's sitting at the table with him? It's just here's my thing: is that I don't mind them shooting simultaneously. I'm like, okay, Han is just that good at reading symbols. That's fine. It's the bob itself that I think is strange because his neck doesn't move very naturally. It like yeah. slides over in a way that like human necks don't move. Maybe Hans part alien we didn't know. I mean, it's very possible. Um, just to add on to this, it's a separate change. It doesn't have to do with the shooting, but um, in the in the 2019 re-release for Disney Plus, I did mention McClunky a little earlier. Um, they have Greedo yell this Hattie's threat to Han. It's something like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to end you. It's something like that. But to me, this is worse than changing who shoots first. <laughs> Why? Because it breaks the flow of the scene. Okay. Like, it's like Greedo says something. Han's like, yeah, I bet you have. And then boom, you know, like blasters go off. But he's like, I bet you have. And then he like stops and waits for Greedo to get one more threat out before shooting him rather gotcha. than just, you know, like to me, this is the worst change of the two. But I don't know if you agree with that. I just remember I was working at someone's like, college graduation and they were like reading quotes, you know, they would say something or what their goal in life was. Yeah, that's what it was. And mm -hmm. one of the students, um, he's walking down and the, the presenter just pauses and it's like. David's goal is to prove Han shot first. <laughs> I lost my mind. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like people take this very seriously. They take it very seriously in a way that like, I don't understand. <laughs> but, you know, I have things that I take seriously that other people don't understand. So I guess I can't judge for that. But I don't think it decreases Han's badassery to like shoot simultaneously rather than to shoot first. It's not about the badassery. It's about is he shooting in defense or is he shooting in offense? Mm. You know, offense. I guess if it's simultaneous, it could be both. Yeah. 
Well, him just shooting him straight up is like. Even that, I'd argue, is defensive because he doesn't want Greedo to go back to Jabba. Yeah, right? but Jabba's still going to be there. <laughs> well, okay. So that's a good segue <laughs> to the other big change in A New Hope is that moments after this scene with Greedo, Han goes out to the ship. Luke and Ben are not there yet. And who should be waiting for him but Jabba the Hutt to essentially have the exact same conversation that Han just had with Greedo to the point where Han, I think, repeats one of his lines of dialogue. Yeah. Like the whole, do you think I had a choice like that thing? So yeah. what what are your thoughts on this um, on this change? Like I know it was originally shot, it was a deleted scene and shot before Jabba the Hutt was a slug and was more like a like a gangster in a fur coat kind of yeah, deal. He was like a, a mobster vibe. Yeah. Um, which is why it's awkwardly edited for Han to be walking on Jabba's tail and then around and it's like very choppy. Like, okay, whatever. But what are your what are your thoughts on this scene? Uh well, I do like Boba Fett's there. So we mm-hmm. get Boba a little bit early, but it makes him feel more of a lackey kind of thing when he's Boba freaking Fett, right? Yeah. He's a lackey, he's not a bounty hunter for hire. Yeah. And yeah, it's very repetitive and I guess it helps tie in Return of the Jedi, but I get why it was cut. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense for Han to step on Jabba's tail because he's trying to get on his good side, you know? He's trying to flatter him, and then it's like, oh, but he's also like, you know. I understand, like, they had, like, the footage and everything like that, but couldn't they have cut to something else instead? Like, just cut away and then cut back because they don't have Harrison Ford stepping up, like, over him. Yeah. I my problem with this scene and this is one of the scenes where I was like thinking okay maybe 97 isn't the first version I saw because I didn't remember this until I rewatched it later but um like as a teenager but one of my things with this scene is I think it kills the tension by not making us wait till Return of the Jedi to find Jabba because like we have this looming threat of like Jabba the Hutt wants his money and Greedo comes to convey that to Han so Han killing Greedo, whether or not he shot first, the message of I'm getting the money, it's fine, never makes it to Jabba if Jabba's not there. So rather than Han placating Jabba and being like, no, it's fine, it's coming, and then Jabba being like, yeah, okay, that's fine, Han leaves with Luke and Ben with Jabba still not knowing where he is or where his money is. So he feels like a more looming threat if Han has not had a conversation with him already. Yeah, and also Java doesn't seem like the guy to go out by himself. <laughs> That's true. You know? And especially now, I know this is like in retrospect because the Book of Boba Fett did come out much, much later. But knowing now that Mas Espa is very close to Java's palace and not Mas Eisley, like that is a very long trip for Java to make. Yes. For no reason. So... Again, this is not something they would have known in 1997, but yeah, I it just it, it's like McClunky in that it kind of takes a little bit of the wind out of the tension sails. So, it's one of the changes I wish they hadn't made. Generally, I'm fine with the with the upgrades even if the CGI looks a little out of place in a 1970s aesthetic, like it, it is what it is, but this is one of those that I I think I could live without. So any any other big changes that jump out to you from A New Hope? Mm, I like the explosion more. 
Yeah, me too. I don't know if that's just me as a kid being like, where's a big explosion? No, it's a giant moon. Like, if it's exploding, it really needs to explode. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. All right. So moving on to The Empire Strikes Back. Um, this one is more subject to a lot of little visual and dialogue changes just to make it more cohesive with the saga as a whole. Like the incremental changes made through the decades was, was more just to tie it like to the other movies in the original trilogy and then eventually to the prequel trilogy. Um, one line change that jumped out at me, which I got from from Wikipedia because I don't have this uh, committed to memory, but when R2 is spat out by the Dagobah Swamp creature, his line has been changed to you were lucky to get out of there rather than you're lucky you don't taste very good. And I like don't understand why. Things like that are a necessary change. Yeah. It's a j- joke. It's just like some random yeah. joke. Um, but one of the things I remember being different is the Wampa in Empire mm-hmm. is a lot more sh- – show more. Yes. they. That is another change they made is that they they showed more of the Wampa. They updated the face so it was a little less like creature masky. And a little more yeah. menacing. Okay. I feel like that idea. was a good change. Yeah, like you want to really convey that threat. And if you have the tech to make it look better, why not? Yeah. So one, the one really big change that they made to The Empire Strikes Back, it's not from the 97, it's from the 2004 edition, is that Ian McDermott is now playing Emperor Palpatine. Because up to this point... Um, the Emperor was played visually by Marjorie Eaton, and the voice was done by Clive Revel. So this answered a lot of questions for me because I remember thinking or wondering um, how it is that people, like adults watching the prequels who had seen the originals, did not immediately point at Palpatine and go, but that's the Emperor. I didn't understand how they didn't see that because I'm like, this is so obviously the same guy. But until 2004, it wasn't. So that made a lot more sense. But what? What do you remember it being played by? By somebody else? Yeah, I vaguely do. But. Yeah, because in like 1997, that version existed, and then also in the original VHSs too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I well, I kind of I can understand it because he's played by the same guy in Return of the Jedi. You know, like how do people yeah. not understand? Like, yeah, that's true. To know. I still don't understand then how people didn't know that, that was that was him. But but in in that case, then I do think this was a good change because it does make it more. It bridges that gap. It makes it more more narratively coherent. Yeah, uh, I like the Cloud City changes too. It gives it more like some of it at least the backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gives it just like more texture and more aesthetics to a really cool place yeah so some of it's a little bit too much cgi Mm -hmm. but there are just scenes where they're running through corridors and they like have windows now and i feel like that gives it a little bit more space it makes it feel more like a real place and less like a set yeah yeah i i agree i agree i think like little visual changes like that i really I like because I always like think to myself that this is what they would have done if they had the means to do it back then. Yeah. 
It, so. it feels like, yeah, something that they put in the concept art originally, mm-hmm. but they were like, mm, don't have the money, don't have the, yeah, the ability to do it. Well, some things like McClunky just feel like, you know. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just as a similar narrative cohesive note, um, when they added Palpatine, as, like Ian McDermott as Palpatine into Empire Strikes Back, they add a line about Luke being the offspring of Anakin Skywalker, which I think was a good, a good connection. And they also redubbed Boba Fett to Tamora Morrison's voice mm-hmm. again to to this is two thousand four, um, not nineteen ninety seven, to make it tie in better to the prequels, which I'm I'm always here for that uh, that level of tying things together because it is one big saga at the end of the day. So I'd rather it all felt like one story. Yeah, yeah. Also, more tomorrow is always a good thing. Yeah, I'm not going to say no to that. Agreed. Anything else for Empire Strikes Back? This one was short. This one didn't have as many changes. Yeah, no, I think overall, like this one, the changes were right. Of all the three movies, I feel like these are the strongest changes because they aren't too big. Mm-hmm. You yeah. You know what I mean? And they work, like, for the most part. Yeah, they all work. I feel like it keeps the story flow. Yeah. So moving on to Return of the Jedi, which I think has some of the bigger changes that like a lot of people remember. Um, First one I have in my notes is Jedi Rocks. And this is the point (laughs) in researching for this episode where I'm like, oh, wait, maybe I did see the 1995 VHS and not the 97 one. Because Jedi Rocks is like the newer Size Noodles musical number. Um, Originally was a song called Laptinek. Still size noodles. It's a lot more subdued. Um, there are no backup singers. There's no like bug guy who I'm sure has a name um, wailing on the microphone. Like it's none of that. It's much quieter. Um, <laughs> I don't mind Jedi Rocks in theory, but having now rewatched Laptinek, I think I prefer it to Jedi Rocks. Is it because there's more Max Rebo? No, but you know. Love Max Riva, but I I like it because it's quieter, and I think it gets to the point of how menacing Jabba is faster. Like, it's like this, like this, like you know, subdued kind of tune that's just sort of playing while um, the Twilight Girl Ula is just dancing, and then Jabba's immediately like displeased, throws her in the Rancor pit. That's it. it we just get there very fast. But it was such a like. Jedi Rocks is such an upbeat, happy number that I guess you could argue the tonal dissonance between upbeat and happy and then this horrific murder that happens two seconds later is huge. But it's a little too jarring for it to land properly for me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And speaking of that, um, Pimmy Taylor, who played Ula in the 1983 Return of the Jedi, she actually returned 14 years later to film scenes for the special edition, which is so insane. Like she looks exactly the same. And oh. they, they filmed the up of her like terror as a rancor was at it and like coming at her. Which I didn't like. You didn't like that? No, I, I get the point. Like I understand that she is frightened and about to die. I think it's playing a little too much into the like, sick thrill of watching a frightened woman oh gotcha. you know what i mean that's my that's like my take on it 
I feel like it's to like add and let us know what's going to happen to Leia, like make it more menacing, like, you know. True. But like, I don't know. Ula didn't, Ula wasn't lucky enough to be born the princess of Alderaan. She didn't have anybody to come get her. Nope. Yeah. So I don't know. It just makes me, it makes me sad, especially knowing that there's a version of the movie where I don't, like, we don't have to watch that unfold, like that next degree of, of violence i don't know like this is just me obviously um i think it's supposed to make you sad or is you i know it's supposed to make you sad but it's like in in like a messed up not fun way gotcha yeah i don't know but moving on to other changed songs we have the ewok celebration aka yubnub from the end of the movie which i don't remember at all by the way um which was later replaced in 1997 by a song called Victory Celebration composed by John Williams. Um, what are your thoughts, one versus the other? Do you have um, a preference? I think once you hear Yubnub, it will be in your head for a little bit. It's <laughs> I've very, been humming it. Uh, speaking of like very subdued, it's very like childish, you know, kind of song. So it feels weird to end the saga, this this trilogy on that note, you know? Yeah, I I agree. Both both because it does sound very childish on the one hand. And then on the other hand, in the 80s after this came out, um, an American producer named Meko, Miko, Meko, um, remixed this song to like have a disco dance beat to it that my parents actively remember dancing to in wow. the 80s. So... It's not that just he remixed it for fun. It, it like hit the Billboard charts. It was being played in clubs, like, which is hilarious to think about now. Like any of us hitting the club and dancing to like Duel of the Fates or whatever. But um, hey, let's go to a rave. I mean, glow sticks. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying that, and I'm like, I would totally do it. But yeah, I know. What are you talking about, Arzu? <laughs> it's just funny to think that that's sort of the level it had hit. So I don't, I don't mind the change so much. Like it. Maybe I'm just so used to Victory Celebration now that Yubnub feels like it doesn't fit anymore. Yeah. But speaking of that end scene, a um, couple of things happened at the end that were changed. Um, in both cases, it was changed in 2004 and not 1997. But first things first is we have CGI shots of various worlds, including worlds from the prequel trilogy, celebrating the fall of the Empire. So this includes like Coruscant where they're partying in front of the Jedi temple and Naboo where a Gungan is screaming that they're free. Um, so what, they're taking what down like statues, right? Yeah. They're like, like fireworks and tearing down the statues. And like, I like these. I think again, it kind of makes it feel like six, a six movie saga rather than a three movie saga. But what is your, what is your thought on this? Yeah, no, I, I enjoy the, you know, seeing the rest of the galaxy you know, celebrating to you, you know, Palps wasn't a great guy. Yeah. And yeah, I like you said, it ties everything together. Mm. I like it. I like it very much. Another thing, this is my very smooth segue to talk about a change that I will defend with my every breath. Oh my God. Um, another change I like very, very much is the, um, the end scene on Endor with Luke kind of breaking away from the party and he sees the ghosts of Obi-Wan and Yoda and then the ghost of Anakin Skywalker appears beside them. So originally up through the 1997 version, 
it was just Sebastian Shaw in Jedi Robes. Sebastian Shaw being the face actor then for Vader, so the third actor to play him in the movies. Um, so not David Prowse, but it was him in the Jedi Robes. And then in 2004, um, I, presumably while they had Hayden Christensen on set for um, Revenge of the Sith, they kind of got him to shoot a facial expression without explaining what it is he was supposed to be looking at. Um, and then superimposed him into the movie so now it's young Anakin Skywalker at the end again not only does this make it feel like a six movie series but it does I think tie back to Owen's line of like Obi-Wan having quote-unquote died the same time as as your father and like sort of that that moment on Mustafar was where Anakin Skywalker sort of ceased to be so I like the change because I think it makes sense for that interpretation but what are your thoughts on it um, I remember as a kid, I didn't know who that guy was, <laughs> you know? The old guy, you mean? Yeah, the old guy. Yeah. I was like, wait, who is that? You know, like, had no idea. I had to be explained it, you know. Um, I think they should get Hayden Christensen now because he'll be about the age Vader is. But then that sort of undoes the whole young Anakin was when Anakin, quote unquote, died. Okay. But they could but if they wanted to. he came back, though. He came back at the end. Yeah. I no. guess. But I, I guess, like, the the main reason for the change probably was because everybody was like, who the hell is that guy? Because you never see Vader looking like that, except right at the end. But Also, like, after the prequels, that's way too old for, yeah. you know, if you think about it, like, how old is Anakin in Revenge of the Sith? He's like 22, 23. 23 and then like yeah, yeah he's in his early 40s. Yeah, and he looks he looks like a proper like 60 55 60 year old man. Yeah. So even then, yeah, like I get like back then we didn't really know, so it didn't make a difference, but but yeah, I think it's a good change. I am happy I'm happy with the change. Um my last note for Return of the Jedi a change I absolutely hate so much comes from the 2011 Blu-ray release. I think you know where I'm going with this, where um, rather than just taking a look at Luke suffering at Palpatine's hands and looking back at Palpatine, lifting Palpatine and throwing him down a shaft, ultimately to no end because he somehow returns. Um, but other than just letting it play out like that and letting the body language do the acting, um, his no from the end of Revenge of the Sith has been added, like Vader's no from the end of Revenge of the Sith has been added into this scene. And I don't understand why. It's poetry. It rhymes. It's not, though. It's copy paste. I'm sorry. I'm yelling at the. Do you like this change? And no, I, just I, about it? I have no. I, I you don't no like the nose and the Vader thing. It makes him silly. It does. It makes the scene so goofy. And like, I get that Star Wars is for kids. I get that Star Wars is silly, but Star Wars isn't always silly. It doesn't have to be silly. And I think this makes it very silly in a way that I don't like. Yeah, even the no and versions of this made Vader very silly. And I know everyone will be like, oh, Rogue One made him a badass. But I feel like, honestly, Rebels made him scary for me again. Mm -hmm. Just because we saw him from another point of view of yeah. being this menacing threat because you know we see him like remember star wars weekends him pop into 
lock into all the hits <laughs> to the pop today. music. Yeah. Yeah. I like the thing is I don't mind it in Revenge of the Sith so much because the last version of him I saw was 23-year-old very emotional Anakin Skywalker. So I'm like, okay. This is a 23-year-old yeah, yeah. very emotional Anakin Skywalker, but the Vader in Return of the Jedi, like we just said, he's in his 40s. He's had a lifetime of pain. He's a little bit above the no. Like, yeah. that's not who he is anymore. So. Hey, he was, he came back as, he was coming back as Anakin Skywalker. And he immediately whining. regresses to his 23-year-old self, like, yep. so fast. So fast. All right. That's it for my, what I picked out. But did you have any more changes you want to talk about across the trilogy? Um, not really. We covered all the major ones. I find it interesting, like, I understand as an artist wanting to go back mm-hmm. and, like, edit things from your past. And I don't know. I wish there was an ability to choose which version you saw. Yeah. Because there, when other special editions come out, they have, like, the theatrical release and the special edition. You can choose which one you watch on DVD or Blu-ray. Yeah. But like Star Wars does not have that option. I understand from their perspective why they didn't give that option because it's that kind of whole, this is the version I want you to see. And the other one was like the imperfect one. But at at some point, and this is from somebody who like likes the changes in, in some cases, and by and large, I don't mind the special editions, but at some point you need to like put a final stamp on it and just let it go. You yeah, know what I mean, so I think even if like, yeah, I enjoy like some changes, like I really love Cloud City stuff, but mm-hmm. like I want to see like from like a historical perspective where like this is what was seen in theaters. Yeah. In the late nine, late 80s and I mean, early 80s and things like that, you know. Yeah. And like, I think, I think part of was the, made. I think part of the problem is. Like, there is such a need, and I'm guilty of this, believe me, but there is such a need for the saga to be consistent, like, across the board, that, you know, you could argue little changes, like adding Tamora Morrison in to make the accent consistent. And I'm like, that would be okay. Or, like, little, like, changing the shot so that the ships look consistent throughout. But then at some point, like, you have to acknowledge that these weren't, this is not a story being told in order, and just by the nature of creation like they're not going to look consistent like the fact that like we all can headcanon however we want why the technology has regressed by about 20 years when you go 20 years into the future but like at the end of the day that's just the nature of it so I guess where does it stop is my question yeah I'm just like thinking back like I remember like hearing like how they did the the land speeder they blurred part of the camera so you wouldn't see like the wheels and stuff like mm-hmm. that but then they went back and edited the CGI but I want to see like what those original like special effects were because that's so cool what they did at that time yeah. it was it changed cinema mm-hmm. I'm not it's- being hyperbolic it they literally changed cinema the mm-hmm. techniques they did the the creation that ship coming at you you know it's like it is part of the history of, of cinema, like what they did. So I wish we had uh, I wish we still had a a way to see that and to experience it. Yeah. Like if anything, 
I would take like an original theatrical cut or like whatever the current special edition cut is like not every single version because then that becomes excessive yeah but but just like to see the original theatrical cut for curiosity's sake and then if they want to use the extended or the the, the special edition cut as the like final canon word on the matter that's fine but just in a like from a film student perspective, I would love to be able to see those those theatrical originals. All right. So that's going to do it for us today. So if you want more on Space Waffles, you can follow me on Twitter at Arzumameen. That's where I post all the Space Waffles updates. Uh, for more from Candice, you can follow her on Twitter at Candice is a Geek. Collectively as a network, we are on Twitter at Geeky underscore Waffle. We are on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at The Geeky Waffle. We are on patreon patreon.com slash the geeky waffle and that's where you can get things like access to our discord server and our waffles after dark episodes and for everything we do you can find us at the that's where we have our reviews our recaps links to all of the shows on our ever expanding network um and that's that's where you can find us if you are so inclined so thank you all so much for listening the special editions are not the end of the world and may the waffles be with you <laughs>